Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We're continuing our study through the book of John. Um, actually, let's begin reading in chapter 5, verse 44, and we're going to read up to um, verse 17 of chapter 6. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God. Do you think that I shall accuse you to the Father? There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test them, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remained so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea to Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because of a great wind was blowing. Father, we, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word and for this time we get to spend together as we walk through the book of John. And I pray, Father, that you would teach us, that you would teach us what happens there, that you would teach us what it means to us, and that you would teach us, Lord, about how great you are and how to apply it to our lives, Lord, how to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So John wrote this book, and he said, I write these. Jesus did many signs, but I write these for you that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that in believing you may have life in his name. He begins the book by saying that Jesus is the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and, and that God himself became flesh and came to dwell with man. In chapter 2, we see that he was pushed into a, a sign, a miracle of changing the water to wine. He begins to uh, declare his intentions. In chapter 3, he deals with a religious leader who should have known but he was not even able to see the kingdom of God. But because he's inquisitive, he goes to Jesus by night and begins to ask him questions. And Jesus reveals himself quite um, extraordinarily. In chapter 4, we see him not with a religious leader, but we see him with a woman that people began, had begun to shun because she had been married five times. And he begins to speak to her about the living water and then in chapter 5, we, find, we found ourselves with a man who had been lame for 38 years in a pool called Bethesda in Jerusalem. And he draws near and he says, do you want to be made well? And he heals this man in his great need when he himself said, how can I be made well? I have no man to help. When there was no man, Jesus stepped in. And we saw last week that this man who had been uh, lame for 38 years is asked to take up his bed and walk, and he walks. And, he, and, and he's on the Sabbath, and the Jews are like, how can you walk with your bed on the Sabbath? We see that the Jews are more concerned with their interpretation of the Scriptures than to wrestle with the Scriptures because you see the Sabbath was never given to be a burden for the people. The Sabbath was given to give rest to the people. And they had turned something that God meant for good and they turned it into something oppressive and wicked. And we found ourselves, yes, uh, last week with the six testimonies that Jesus says. You know, uh, here he, he, his own testimony, the Spirit, John the Baptist, the works themselves, the Father, the Scriptures. All these testimonies and the Jews refused to believe. They should have been asking question, is this the Messiah? Is this the Christ? But really, they, would not want to, they didn't want to be confused by the evidence they wanted to follow their prejudice. It's a sad place to be when we don't let the evidence lead where they may, where our prejudices take over our traditions. And here, uh, I started in chapter 5 is because he speaks about Moses, and although we jump into chapter 6, it continues. Although the location changes, although the time changes, the theme doesn't change. And he says, do you think I shall accuse you to the Father? There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. You see, it's hard, you know. If 
uh, Christian leadership, it, it's a hard thing, you know, any kind of leadership, because when someone is a powerful leader, there is a real danger to worship the person. There is a, there's a real danger in that. And Moses was a great leader. And, and because he was a great leader, the people had become followers of that great leader. And we're going to get to, into that in, in a minute. But here we find ourselves in a time where Jesus is taking his disciples to be alone with him to the mountain. It's interesting times here. In Matthew 14, 1 through 21, right before this event, we hear that, G that John the Baptist is beheaded. Now, remember, Jesus and John were cousins. Remember, Jesus and uh, Ma Mary and Elizabeth knew each other. They rejoiced at each other's pregnancy. When John the Baptist is beheaded, when he's killed by Herod, it no doubt impacted Jesus. It no doubt impacted the disciples who had previously been followers of John the Baptist. That time was also a time of great activity. Jesus had just sent them in, in Matthew 6, uh, uh, 30 through 44. It says, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place um, and rest a while because they had not no time to eat. They were so busy. And in Luke 9, chapter 1, it says that it was after sending him out when they came back that he says, come out and rest a little while. Jesus took them aside privately into a place to give them rest. Number one, just, just a, a, a side note application. We it's in it interesting that he takes them aside to rest in the light of the oppressing Jews saying you're carrying your mat on the Sabbath. So he doesn't nullify the Sabbath. He just says the Sabbath was given to give rest to man, not to oppress man. And here he takes them to rest. But the application, an application for us here, listen guys, we need to take time to rest. We need to take time not just to rest from work, we need to take time to rest with Jesus, to be in the presence of Jesus, whether it's to turn on worship music and just, just, just spend time with him, whether it's to go for a walk and a run and just pour out your hearts to him, whether it's to go to the mountain and just be with him, whether it's to open up his word and let him speak to you. We need rest, not just physically, we need rest spiritually in our souls. We need to be refreshed. Here, there was a time of intense activity, a time of great loss, and a time of antagonism. It was a full agenda. And you see in verse 3, Jesus went up to the mountain and there he sat down with the disciples, time with him. But notice this, in verse 15, which we finish by, it says, therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and make him king by force, he departed 
to the mountain by himself alone. And of course, we know that it was not by himself alone. It was by himself alone physically, but he was in the presence and with his father. Refreshing. I heard this quote once by A.W. Tozer, uh, which rocked my world. It says, what you are, who you are, and what you are is what you are when you are with him alone. Learn to spend time with him, to fellowship. God has not called us to be busy for him. He has called us to be part of him. And out of that, and out of that relationship, out of that abounding grace, out of that abounding love, out of that worship, service comes. And the worst thing that can happen to us is when we serve just out of pure energy and obligation and not out of a, a heart of grace and adoration. All you have to do is read the letters of the Apostle Paul. Everything he does, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then he always burst in worship. Oh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he responds to that grace, to that presence, to that love. The love of Christ constrains me, he says. And you know, it's a sad day, and it happens to all of us. It's a sad day when we do what we do out of duty and not out of thankfulness and love. And that usually happens to me when I am not with him. But that's an, a, an application from here. But the main interpretation of the, of the passage is this. Chapter 5 and chapter 6 are connected. Not, uh, uh, not in location, because remember, the man was healed in the pool of Bethesda. But now they are in the Sea of Galilee. Weeks, months has gone by. It's, it's approaching to be the Feast of Passover. So what's happening is the, the, the Psalms of Ascent are happening. People are traveling from all over Israel. You had a duty if you lived in Israel, if you lived a certain distance from Jerusalem, to travel to the Passover. But this Passover, these Passovers were really expectant because they were expecting the Messiah to come according to Daniel 9. And as they're traveling as pilgrims, you know, they're carrying their backpacks, they're carrying their lunch, they're hoping to find a shop open and get this and that. But Jesus sees them. And he has just had that battle with the Jews about Moses and about the Sabbath. And Moses had had a tremendous impact upon Israel. But Jesus says to him, if you listen to him, you would listen to me. And you see in Deuteronomy 18, 15, Moses wrote, the Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from, the, from your midst, from your brothers. It is him you need to listen to. And think about this. Moses writes 
depended to the first five books of the Bible. And he says, but in the future, God is going to raise a prophet like me. And it is him you have to listen to. And in that moment, Jesus steps in and he says, if, if Moses, if you would listen to Moses, you would realize that I'm the one that Moses talked about. He says, I will raise up a prophet among them like you from among the brethren, God told Moses, and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. Think about this. Jesus says, I only speak what my, what my father says. But Moses had a tremendous impact. Just like in our generations, Luther had a great impact. Just like in our generations, the Wesleys had a great impact. Or even secular guys, even here in Mallorca, Ramon Lul had a tremendous impact on the Catalonian language and he was a missionary to the Muslims. But it's interesting to me how easily a strong leader, rather than be listened to, begins to be worshipped. Right? Rather than being listened, that the listened to began to be worshipped. And with Luther, or with Martin Luther in Germany, it was incredible that he was wrestling with, with, with what was going on in Rome, the, the indulgences and everything that was going on. And he couldn't believe that the stuff was going on. He really didn't think the Pope was in it. And when he went over there and he saw everything that was going on, he was shocked. And at one point in Wittenberg, he actually put the 95 Thesis there, which was 95 things that he thought the church was doing that the Bible did not agree with. And a great move happened. And then he began to translate the Bible, the New Testament, because he felt if the people had the Bible themselves, they would come in touch with God himself and they would not be slaves of religious leaders, but they would be slaves of the love of God. But you know what? There were people that were following Martin Luther. They began to burn churches. They completely misinterpreted Luther. They completely went beyond what Luther intended. And it is interesting sometimes that in our zeal, in our longing for worship, that we end up worshiping man rather than just respecting man. And there was a danger that they would misinterpret Mo uh, Moses. And sure enough, they did. Here this man gets healed. Where the Old Testament said that when the Messiah would come, the lame would walk. And you know what? And then their, and their interpretation and their care for the word as such. And, and they were not supposed to go against the word, but they were not supposed to add to the word. They actually added that a man could not pick up his bed and walk it on the Sabbath. You know, in the catacombs in Rome, where the Christians would celebrate the death of the believers and where they would bury the, the Christians and other, other uh, Jews as well, um, the, the, there are prayers, listen to this, there are prayers offered to Paul and Peter in the first century. In the first century, they're already worshiping Peter and Paul rather than Jesus. It is a real danger. I remember here at church that we had one guy who I, we were talking about um, just a particular theological 
um, point, and 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 I, and I was saying, uh, he told me that one of my favorite preachers, Martin Lloyd Jones, had said something, and I and I said, yeah, Martin Lloyd Jones said this, but Jesus said this, and he said, but yeah, but Martin Lloyd Jones said this, and I said, yes, but Jesus said this. Yes, but Martin Lloyd-Jones, I'm like, if you're putting Martin Lloyd-Jones at the level of Jesus, we have a real problem. We have a real problem. Moses was the shadow, but Jesus was there as the substance. You see, it's kind of like if I had a picture of Loretta. You know, and it's like, oh, I just love you, Loretta. And then Loretta's sitting in the other room. What are you doing with the shadow? Come spend some time with me. Moses was the shadow. Jesus is the substance. You see, Jesus is leading a crowd here in these verses. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. But Jesus is leading a crowd, just like Moses led a crowd. You see, the crowd is following Jesus because they saw the signs that he did in verse 2. And the people of Israel followed Jesus because of the signs that he did in Egypt. The plagues. You see, Jesus and his disciples went up to the mountain to pray to his father. And Moses and Joshua went up to the mountain and brought the law of God down. And that's why in John chapter 5, verse 46, it says, If you believed Moses, you will believe me, for he wrote about me. But here Jesus is humbly revealing himself. And we looked at, uh, at that verse last week. It says, You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you have life, but you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And here you see the multitude. And in John 6, 5, it says, When Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him. You see, this is the only miracle. The feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that is told in all four Gospels. And it says that Jesus lifted his eyes and seeing the great multitude. In Matthew 14, 14, it says, He was moved with compassion. You know, so he sees those people and some people, I mean, the disciples like, send them away. That sounds like me. Send them away. <laughs> Jesus is moved in his, in his, in his heart. Kind of like we're, we're seeing Jess and, and, um, and we're seeing uh, Steffi here. And, and they see these women. They are moved with compassion. They're not looking at them like the Jews. They're guilty. They're looking at them like Jesus, they're broken. He was, he, he was moved with compassion. You see, if you have an accident on the highway here on the Via de Tintura, several emergency units are going to come in. The police are wondering what happened. The persecutor is wondering who's guilty. 
the judge is going to make a call, but the ambulance comes. How can we help? How can we help? It, it doesn't matter if you were the guilty one. The ambulance is coming to keep you alive. And Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came, not that the world will be condemned through me, but actually that I might save the world. When John, when he, when, when he was going to call fire on the, this, on, on the people, the Samaritans, Jesus turned to him and says, you don't know what spirit you're of. I didn't come to destroy men's lives. I came to save them. And in Mark 6.34, is because he was moved with compassion because, he, he, because they were sheep not having a shepherd. No one, in a sense, would, he saw them as no one taking care of them. You see, the religious leaders of the time should have been taking care of them. But he saw them as sheep without a shepherd needing direction, needing nourishment. And you see, it's interesting that Moses had led them for 40 years in the wilderness after the deliverance of Egypt. And what did he do for those 40 years? I mean, he didn't do it. God did it. But what did he do? Every morning, except on the Sabbath, so they would rest, not as a law, so they would rest. This miracle would happen. The manna popped up and they were able to eat in the wilderness. I have a friend who's a scholar, a biblical scholar, an archaeologist, and he went over to, to Israel, and he went over to, um, there to, the, to um, Egypt, and, and, and he says, to me, the greatest miracle is not that God parted the sea and that the children of Israel went through. To me, the greatest miracle is they survived the wilderness. For 40 years, what do you eat there? And yet God called Moses. And for 40 years, they were fed. Moses led them into the wilderness and fed them for 40 years. That's in verse 32, by the way. It says, um, then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I said to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. But it was Moses that was there. Moses fed Israel the manna every morning. Jesus feeds them in verse 11 as much as they wanted. So in other words, he didn't just give them a little bit. He gave them as much as they wanted to eat. In verses 32 through 35, Jesus cares as the shepherd. Notice, uh, uh, let me read 32 through 35. It says, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, my father, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Lord, give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Jesus shows himself as the great shepherd. And Jesus nourishes us as the bread. But listen, guys, Jesus is humbly and lovingly revealing himself. I would have said, I'm it, guys. But I mean, it's amazing how humbly he's doing it, that he says, lay down on the grass. And sometimes the things of the Bible, the, the things that move me the most in the Bible are not the big things, are the little details that I think to myself, there's no way that John put that there just by himself. 
I, I, there's no way. John could not have thought of that detail. I think that the Holy Spirit put that detail in John to write and in Matthew to write because both of them wrote it. But it says that he caused them. He said, hey guys, sit down on the grass. When it says sit down on the grass, I am moved. It's, in another passage, it says there was a lot of grass there. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, that's just amazing. Not that I love grass, but that he's revealing himself as the shepherd. The shepherd of the flock. And you're like, well, what are you talking about? Turn, turn to Psalm 23. I mean, it's just incredible. And this is what I said when, when I say to you that he says, the, the scriptures testify of me. And obviously there's more clear ones, but this one is just, it just blows my mind. It says, Look, the, the greatest psalm that we could ever read. Everybody loves this psalm. And every, even the Jews, they will say this. They will quote this. They will, they, whenever they're in trouble, they will read it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I think that detail of the grass in John, the detail of the grass in Matthew is to, co it's, it's to connect it by the Holy Spirit directly to Psalm 23, the great shepherd, God. God, the great shepherd. Revealing himself as the prophet to come like Moses, he feeds them. He leads them supernaturally through the water and leads them to freedom. Now we have a problem. And it's the word misinterpretation. You see, the Jews misinterpreted Jesus. They wanted a Moses. They wanted a Joshua. They wanted a deliverer, but they wanted their kind of deliverer instead of the deliverance that God would bring. Like, what do you mean by that? Well, just like the Jews were oppressed in Egypt, in their history, they were once again oppressed, but under the Romans. So they had interpreted as they saw the Moses as they saw the Joshua's, as they saw the, the, the judges, as they saw King David, as they saw the promised land, they had interpreted, their interpretation was that God was going to bring them a deliverer and that this deliverer would crush the Roman government. I think sometimes our Christianity, particularly in the United States, can be like that. Our Christianity is like, hey, let your victory come and get rid of the left. Or sometimes just get rid of the right, get rid of everybody. Just, you know, just have Jesus reign. But you know what? God has not done, God wasn't doing that with the Jews. He was doing something else. The deliverance from the enemy was not going to be from the Roman enemy. It was going to be from the devil and from the penalty of sin. And listen, and from ourselves. And isn't it true, that, I mean, and just to apply it a little bit, isn't it true that sometimes we become Christians and we start with, with uh, we start with, okay, my goodness, I'm, I remember becoming a Christian. It's like, I'm going to be the, 
I'm going to be God's solution to the world. And then time goes on. It's like, oh my goodness, I'm amazed that you even do anything apart from, I mean, with me. But, or, or you think like, or you think, man, I know the plans that I have for you. They're for a future and for a hope. And you think to yourself, oh my goodness, I'm going to have a beautiful house. I'm going to have a beautiful marriage. And I'm just going to live with a beautiful children. And nothing bad is ever going to happen because I'm walking with God. And sometimes that can sort of creep in, a misinterpretation of the kind of Savior we have. And although God might give us those things, Paul says, I've learned how to abound and I've learned how to abase. The deliverance that he brings is that he gives us the strength and the power to walk with him no matter what the circumstance. So you see Corey Tamboom, she's walking with God before the concentration camps. She's ministering, she's ministering to the Lord and she's ministering to the world after the concentration camps. But listen, guys, she was ministering to the Lord and to the people in the concentration camps during her captivity. Deliverance from the enemy. Listen, the first thing I have to be delivered from is the devil. And the next thing I need to be delivered from is my sin. And the next thing I need to be delivered from is death. The misinterpretation is that they thought God was going to get rid of Herod and of Pilate and of the corruption of the priesthood. That God was going to deliver them once again into, monothe uh, into a, uh, um, a monothe not a monotheism, what am I talking about? A theocracy where they would have a ruler there, but God will be their king. And they thought that all that was going to come here on earth. And think of the disciples. The disciples thought Jesus, I mean, when they realized Jesus is the Messiah, they start following him. And they're so excited. And they're seeing the, 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 the sea calm. They're seeing the multitudes fed. They're seeing everything. And they're like, oh, my goodness, yes. And then one says to the other, John and James, he's like, hey, when you come into the kingdom, can I sit on your right hand? And the other one on your left, can we be like the top hunters, you know, the, 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 the top dogs in the kingdom? They thought here on earth. And then Jesus dies on the cross. They see him being arrested, crucified. And they think to themselves, what in the world have we done for the last three and a half years of our life? Like a bucket of cold water on a little flame. But then the resurrection came. Then the ascension comes. Then the spirit is given. And then all of a sudden they begin to realize, oh my goodness, it's a spiritual kingdom. And God is going to make everything new in the future. He will give us enjoyment here. He will feed. He will feed. He says, I am the bread of life. Jesus is manifesting himself as the nurturer of our souls. The nurturer of our souls. You see, Jesus was not delivering them from Rome. Jesus was doing something infinitely greater. Delivering them from the one who ruled Rome. Satan ruled over the Caesars. Why is there wars? Have you ever wondered why there's wars? 
The reason there's wars is because people have hearts like you and I. People have hearts like you and I. Why do we have divorce? Because we have hearts that are selfish. And Jesus comes with a kingdom, with a deliverance, with a victory. And they just couldn't see that. All they cared about is their bellies, the now, the today. He was doing something greater. He was sending his son. He was delivering them from sin. He was doing a deeper job. He was restoring them from the inside out. Maybe you're here. And God hasn't done things as you thought. Maybe you've suffered under the misinterpretation that people have and, and under religious leaders. Maybe you feel completely alone. Maybe through tradition, you misinterpreted Jesus. You know, the other day, those of you that are visitors, those you come to church regularly here, no, but the other day, two weeks ago, we were expecting uh, my father-in-law to come to Mallorca. The kids were excited. Um, I'm, I prepared the room. Loretta gets stressed whenever they're going to come, especially because of him, because he's, he's very meticulous, very perfectionist. Uh, but we were excited for him to come. Then we had the great storm here, remember, at church. I, then I went home, checked him in, and I said, hey, um, Tommaso, I've checked you in. And then he said, hey, I'm feeling better. Okay, see you tomorrow. He took the trash out, never came back. Just collapsed through an aneurysm and, and uh, lost consciousness and died. We were brokenhearted. The kids, the kids. Are, I mean, I think the, what's the worst for us is that we were expecting them. But I mean, my father-in-law talked to him four times a week. Every week. I would call him. Como stai, principes? Principe, como stai? El pene. Rafael. He would call me, you know. And you know, Loretta's grieving. She went into the workshop and she's like, I just wish I would have hugged them more. And she hugged them a lot, but, I, but she just saw his work clothes hanging there and she just hugged them and cried and cried and cried, just hugging the clothes. Arden said to me, remember, remember, no, he said to Jonathan, remember when we were playing swords just yesterday? Remember when we were playing swords with Nono? And it's painful and it's hard. But please, God has not sent his son for us to live forever on earth. 
God sent his son to die on a cross that I don't want to live forever in this sinful world. God sent his son and raised them up to pay, I mean, pay for our sins, raised them up and ascended them. And he's coming back because we are to live forever, not here, but in a place that he went to prepare for us. This is not home. For the Jews, earth had become home. This is not home. Heaven is home. And you know what? We will either leave or we will say goodbye to a lot of people until we meet again. But you see, sometimes people you see are angry with God because they lost so and so. And Jesus and Loretta, sorry, Jesus, Loretta and Jesus are almost the same. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but, but um, Loretta said to me, I, all I can do is press deeper to him. All I can do is press deeper to him. And they might have misunderstood Jesus, but don't you misunderstand Jesus. Jesus has not come as the police. Jesus has come as a deliverer. Not the kind of deliverance that you want, financial freedom, problems to go away, although they might. Not even that you might be healed, but Paul says, whether I live or whether I die, I am his. He says, I know that neither life nor death nor principalities nor powers nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And I'm not saying this superficially. I know that there's pain in everything that we go through. But when we realize that the road is different than we think, then we're able to enjoy him no matter what the road looks like. And he says, I am the bread of breath of the bread of life. Let him listen today. He is the true nourishment of your soul. One thing with real love that I always think about is of Hosea and his wife that was a prostitute. And God says, she thinks her lovers are providing for her, but she doesn't realize that it is me that is providing for her. He's the nourishment. I had a friend that was diagnosed with cancer and then we were reading the Bible. Uh, she read books. She loved to read about everything. And at one point she looks at me and, and she, and she says to me, you know what? I used to read a lot of books, but in this time in my life, the only thing that speaks to me is the Bible. The nourishment that comes from the Word of God and from Jesus himself. So let's pray. Let's study the Scriptures. But let's not misinterpret the Scriptures to what we would like life to be. Let us enjoy the Savior that God has given us and realize that he is bigger and greater and that he's doing a deeper job than we could ever dream or uh, think. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for your love. Thank you. We 
thank you so much, Lord, that they depended, they trusted in Moses, but I mean, they couldn't keep what Moses said. He was pointing to a Savior that will come, you, that after we discover the craziness of our heart and our lack of ability to change ourselves, that you so lovingly, so compassionately would look upon us and provide a way to forgive us, to transform us, to fill our lives with a living hope. I pray, Father, that you would do just that. And I don't know what maybe disappointments are in this room. Just like the, even good, I mean, even like the disciples with Jesus, they were disappointed. They thought it was going to be different. But Lord, you always know how to do things better and deeper. And I pray that we would live in the hope and in the light of who you are. Feed us, Lord, nurture us. Transform us, Lord, from the inside out. Help us to grow in the beauty of knowing you better. Enjoying you fuller. And that our lives will go from I to He. He and only He. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.